Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I invited Dr. Mohammed Almubidin to discuss load management, exercise progression, and overuse injury. Mohammed is a physical therapist and strength coach who works primarily with active individuals and often encounters overuse injuries. There's something in this episode for everyone, whether you're a PT, coach, or somebody who's experiencing that nagging pain in the gym. I learned a lot from this episode, and I'm sure that you will too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mohammed. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Mohammed al Mubiyadin. Is that correct? Yes, you got it. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm 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 really glad. Like we talked about before the podcast, it's it's crazy how everything's kind of coming full circle now that um you know you were a fan of the podcast and and I'm on your podcast. It's just it's it's wild and it's still mind blowing and it's so humbling for me. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And honestly, that's the best part about having a podcast and having social media is being able to connect with like minded people. And um, I'm so blessed to have you here. So before we get into our topic, can you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yes. Yeah, so um, again, my name is Mohammed uh, Alma Biden. I am a physical therapist out of Dallas, Texas, um, specifically in the Plano area. Um, I work for a facility called uh, Performance Medicine and Sports Therapy. Uh, we're an outpatient sports medicine clinic um, that is very big on multidisciplinary practice. We've got chiropractors in-house, um, nurse practitioners, licensed massage therapists, physical therapists, strength coaches and um, the occasional uh, physician will come in and do their consult. So we have everyone under one roof and it's great because if we ever have any overlapping patients, we can kind of communicate in that manner. Um, I'm, I am currently less than a year out. So I graduated in December, 2020 from Mary Harden Baylor. Um, my uh, certifications are in strength and conditioning and I, and I pride myself in that certification a lot for the pure fact that I integrated into my physical therapy practice, um, pretty much daily. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. That's, that's my physical therapy rundown. Yeah, that's awesome. The, the clinic that Mohammed works in is awesome. It's something that I follow closely and love the work that he does. And I'm so glad to hear that you find your CSCS to be so valuable because, um, I have that certification myself. A lot of my classmates got it and I'm already starting to see how easy it is to integrate that into physical therapy. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's it's funny. I don't know if I'm seen as the person that's anti-manual, but I'm definitely seen as the person because I'm not anti-manual, but I'm definitely seen as the person who is um, more exercise based in the clinic. It's funny because the patients will be like, oh, or uh, the Kairos when they refer someone over to me, they're like, oh, if you want to get sweating, go to Muhammad. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh God, you know, it's funny. Honestly, I think that's something to be proud of. You know, it's yeah, definitely- absolutely. It's definitely important. And I'm a little biased, I guess, but I also very much favor movement over anything else. Um, and, you know, there's there's a place for it. If you got the right person in front of you, it can really make a big difference. Absolutely. You know, you 100 percent are correct. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely I definitely like to integrate my CSCS into my practice pretty much all the time. Um, and, it, and I think it, I, I find so much value in it for the pure fact of that it really teaches you how to progressively load someone and, you know, where, where is the great starting point? So you get to blend your, you know, knowledge of muscle, tendon, ligament, healing timelines 
in conjunction with, okay, where would that fall in, in line with programming? If somebody is in a lot of pain, where do I start with in, you know, your progressions for exercises and how do I build them up to A, B, or C or whatever their goals may be, depending on whether they're an athlete, weekend warrior, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, just, just having that background knowledge and being able to blend the two has just been, it's been really great. And I'm still learning ways to do it. I'm again, I'm only less than a year out, so I haven't, I haven't gotten it all figured out yet, but, um, it's, it's definitely come together. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And, you know, being that you are a PT in a performance setting, that's exactly why I wanted to dive into this topic today, which we're going to talk all about load management and kind of the proper way to progress exercise. Um, not just with physical therapy, but also just for people who are looking to get started on a fitness journey or even are already working out and want to progress it. Like what's the safest way to do it. Um, but in your setting, you treat a lot of athletes and active individuals. What are some of the more common injuries or problems that you see with that population? Uh, you know, with the active individual, I would truly say, and I'm not just saying that because it's the podcast, I do believe that overuse injuries have been the most common. And, um, it's funny when you sent, when you sent these, uh, these questions over to me, I had to like, think about it for a little bit. Cause I was like, what do I see the most, most often, but, you know, reflecting back on it, it really truly is overuse injuries because, um, you know, in, a, in an outpatient setting, anybody can walk in the door, you can get like anywhere from, you know, a high school athlete to a weekend warrior to a pro athlete. Right. And so, and, uh, all of these guys have different back training backgrounds. And when you, when you get someone who, who doesn't who's a little bit more amateur or or new to the training world or strengthening world um, no matter what it is whether it's crossfit or just strength training specifically or just running what anything active um, you find that they don't know how to progressively introduce load to themselves so sometimes they'll just go from you know oh i want to start i want to run a marathon so i'm going to run 12 miles like tomorrow you know what i mean it's it's not like that um and so you know it's it's I've seen that most, most commonly. And, you know, whether that's upper extremity or lower extremity, um, I can't really say which one I see the most often, like between those two, but I would say as a whole diagnosis wise, uh, definitely overuse injuries. Yeah. Um, that's not surprising. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad to hear that that's common for you. Cause that's definitely kind of something that I figured. Um, and you know, overuse injuries are tricky because I feel like for the person who's working out, they might be going to the gym with a friend or following a training program that somebody else made. And they know that, you know, their brother or their friend did that same work. So it's like, why is running 15 miles a week, something that causes me injury, but my brother can run 30 miles a week and not get injured. So there's definitely individual differences. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of the hard part is when people get an overuse injury, they think, oh my God, I need to stop doing stuff. I'm doing too much. But what it really comes down to from my understanding is that it's a load capacity problem. So it's not that you're doing too much exercise because we know that human beings are so resilient and so capable of doing so much. So why is it that, you know, you might have knee pain or elbow pain when you're working out if you don't really feel like you're doing too much work? Right. And, you know, that's, it's a, that's a loaded question too, because it's like pain is so, so, so difficult to comprehend. Like we, we still don't know a lot about pain. So just the pure, just the pure term of pain is, is it's, we don't know is necessarily why or truly, truly, truly like where it comes from. But 
when you break it down to like from like coming back to like our setting when you have someone that has an overuse injury um and you know they're they're coming to you with those things and they're saying oh you know i try to run 12 miles but my brother can run 30 just like you said well there's a lot of factors to consider at play what shoes did you just recently change your shoes uh, let's just let's like let's for example take knee pain for example did you recently change your shoes uh were you on uneven terrain was your brother on level terrain has your brother been doing this for x amount of years had you just started yesterday um you know are you doing it on an uphill on a downhill it's there's there's just so much to consider is your brother strength training on the side are you strength training you know what are your recovery what does your recovery look like how often are you, or how much are you sleeping at night? There's, there's so, 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 so much, so many factors that go into why this happened to me specifically. Um, but now that we're on this topic, I will say that the most important thing is gaining that subjective report, asking those questions, especially with overuse injuries. You will never, it's so hard to get to the root of the problem when it's an overuse injury, if you're not asking the right questions. That's a big, big, big deal. Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And it's it's overwhelming in a sense to hear about all the different factors that go into it. But at the same time, you can look at that from a positive perspective of saying, okay, I know that sleep matters. I know that recovery matters. I know that strength training matters. So maybe making those things better, focusing in on those factors could potentially help not only treat an overuse injury, but kind of prevent one from happening in the first place, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and when I tell patients, like the way I, I try to always come back to, like, I always try to center it. Cause I always, well, first I mentioned like, listen, I know that everything that I've asked you is very overwhelming, but it's very key to, to finding out what's going on with you one. And then you center it back and you say, okay, well, the good news is, is if we change just one of these things, right. There's a good chance that we might be able to improve your pain. And and being transparent about it too. So understand that you're not gonna just wake up tomorrow pain-free because you slept an extra hour of sleep, right? You have to consider that this is gonna take time. And I always put it in the perspective of like, if you feel pain, you're not, you're not necessarily going backwards. You're not taking any steps backwards, but I want you to always, and I tell, my, I tell this specifically to my patients. And I say, I want you to always tie it back to the beginning of this evaluation. So try to remember how this pain feels like, what this feels like. And as we progress through your rehab, I want you to take little bits and pieces with you. Like, okay, maybe I, maybe in two weeks, you're able to run five miles, but you still have the same pain that you felt today, right? But you were only able to run two miles. So that's a win. Yes, it's not, we're not hundred percent there, but that's a win because you've increased your mileage Yes, your pain has stayed the same, but you've increased your mileage and you're able to do more now and you're tolerating that because otherwise, if you weren't tolerating, you would have been able to run those five miles. So small wins like that are really important. It's, it's, I know this kind of, maybe I'm deterring away from your question a little bit, but this all just kind of plays in to the entire uh, uh, recovery and rehab process that PTs can provide when it comes to things like overuse injuries. Yeah, definitely. And I like that you mentioned kind of focusing on the small things. Cause that even reminds me, um, even in a person who's not in pain, but just focusing on health and fitness, that's why focusing on like performance goals is so valuable because you might be weighing yourself. You might be just checking yourself out in the mirror and 
you might not feel much different or look much different, but if you're focusing on those smaller performance gains and you notice that you squatted 160 reps for or 160 pounds for five, instead of 145 pounds for five, like that's a win. That means that you're progressing, right? So there's a lot of different ways that progression can be measured. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and giving that to patients in those senses, it's not even just overuse injuries, but like I, I use it a lot in low back pain, like, because people, especially when it's chronic, right. Um, maybe that's, that's a better umbrella term. So you could put chronic over overuse injuries and over, um, over back pain because they could both be chronic. Um, but when it comes to things like that, it's, it's, uh, it's so important for the patients to understand because what they'll think is, oh, I'm in pain. It's not working. Okay. I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing and it doesn't fix. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better. You're not actually changing anything. So, but yeah, to, to stop myself from rambling, that's, that would be my answer. No, I appreciate all of the rambling. You're giving a lot yeah. of good information <laughs> and I'm the same way, but um, I, I also really like that you're making that point that pain you know, obviously pain is a stimulus that we want to become aware of that we want to take into account, but it's not the end all be all to knowing if you're progressing. And even in the gym, you know, you get to a certain point in life, in your sport, whatever it is, where you might not necessarily get through a whole workout without feeling some kind of discomfort, right? Like it's not always something that needs to be scary, but for somebody who, you know, is fearful of training too hard and hurting themselves, how can somebody kind of find a balance in training load where like you're working hard enough to progress, to meet your goals, but you're not working too hard to the point of overtraining. So is this for somebody that's already been training or new to it? Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought that deep into the question, but it does make a difference. Let's, let's talk about somebody who's like brand new to working out. Yeah. So if it's somebody that was brand new to working out and their goals are, let's just, I work better. My brain works better this way. Let's just say they have a goal of, I want to deadlift 375 pounds. I'm not going to go tell them to go load up, I don't know, 300 pounds and go try to lift that. Right. Um, so first things first, again, being transparent about how the plan is going to work. So I would recommend first getting your foundations down, making sure that you understand your technique, be patient with those, um, like understanding your hip hinge, understanding, um, a proper form, um, you know, again, it's not that, and uh, I, I could go into, I could go into so many different kind of branches off this conversation. And if, if I say anything that, that stands out, be sure to ask me those questions because what I'll do is I'll try to answer those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And, yeah. So, yeah. So ask me, but anyway, so I would say, make sure that they have their form technique down first and foremost, right. You, you lock that down and then start gradually progressing. So, um, you know, it could look anywhere. Like if we're, if we're building for strength, you know, your, your NSCA or your CSCS uh, teaches you that you want to target endurance first, and then you target hypertrophy. Um, I can't remember what comes out. I think it's strength and then power, right. Which is all required. So, um, you know, going with the 12, let's just go with the 12 rep count. I would say start with 12 reps, find a load that is pretty decently heavy, but doable. Um, and if they don't know what that is, or if they can't comprehend that or understand that, then it would be wise to teach them about a 10 rep max. And then maybe giving them some sort of indicator as to, you know, what their estimated one rep max would be because they're, 
they're pretty new. They're pretty novice. Having them do a one rep max probably isn't the smartest thing to do. Um, so going with training based off of your estimated one rep max and then gradually building from there based off of your um, CSCS uh, principles. And now, now, if this is a person that I'm training, I would obviously take them through the entire process and walk them through it. Now, if this is someone just asking me for advice, um, I would say, you know, I would give that answer and then slowly and progressively build that up. And when you get to a point to when you plateau, reevaluate your entire plan, reevaluate everything where you're at. So if I get to a place to where, you know, I'm not making any more progressions and I really want to push the barrier, but I don't want to hurt myself. Take yourself, evaluate what you've been doing. What can you do to do to improve? Are you not taking recovery days as well as you should? Um, start looking into these small little factors that we talked about earlier, sleeping. Um, are, you, are you eating well? Are you giving yourself enough nutrients and, and nutrition uh, to promote that, those, those strength gains? Um, what, does, what does a four or five day rest break do for your, for your gains or your strength? Um, are you overtraining? Things like this. So um, just taking a step back and to reevaluate your entire plan, find out what's missing and, and, and continue on from there. But I think if you were to take one thing away from what I just said, it's slow, gradual, progressive loading. And that doesn't mean add 50 pounds to your deadlift every week or every two weeks or every three weeks. It's I'll add shit. I might even add five pounds every week, right? That's what I used to do. I would add like five pounds week by week by week until I would eventually maybe plateau. And then I would reevaluate what I'm doing wrong, if I'm doing anything wrong, take some rest breaks and then continue on from there. But, um, you know, it takes time. You know, we're talking about five, if we're talking about five pound increments for a deadlift, that's it's really small. Like typically people are adding 10, but in the grand scheme of things, it, 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 it truly makes for better gains and it's much more doable. So once you get to that three or four week mark and you've added, um, God, I'm terrible at math, 20 pounds to your deadlift, right? It's much easier to do that than to go from, oh, I had a hundred on my week one and then I went to 120 week two. You know, that's, that's, that's a huge jump and your body isn't adapted to that. Right. Um, it's, all about, it's all about adaptation. Yeah, definitely. So many good things that you said there that now are in my mind, but I really like your recommendation of when you're getting started. And especially if you're a novice, but even if you're somebody who's been training and you're just looking to do something different, like from a personal standpoint, I've been active in the weight room for probably like eight to 10 years now I'm experienced, but over the last year or so, I haven't really been consistently following a program. So now I have all this knowledge. I know how to do exercises, but my body isn't really in the right condition to jump full force into lifting because I've taken some time off. So even though I'm not a beginner, I'm going to start with these same principles of working on higher rep ranges with lower weight at first, make sure that my form is good, kind of get back into the basics. You know, I feel like there's, it's one thing that's negative about Instagram right now is that anybody who follows fitness accounts, Instagram loves to show these like crazy exercises. Like you got to do this to build your legs. And the basics work really well, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so whether you're starting out or whether you're just looking to progress your muscle mass, your weight loss, your performance, whatever, make sure that you're still kind of like relying on those basics, your squat, your deadlift, your press, your pull, that's going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. Um, 
and definitely being patient. You know, we talk about it in every realm of health, fitness, wellness, PT, like consistency and patience is key. And it's hard because we want to just jump right into it. Um, but that's exactly how you might end up with something like an overuse injury or a chronic injury. If your tissues, your muscles, your tendons, everything isn't equipped to handle that load for that amount of volume, for that amount of time, whatever it is, like, then you're going to start to have problems. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So I, no, I no, love, no, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Sorry to interrupt. I was, I was just saying like, like, just like you said, it was, it was beautifully said because going back to your basics is so foundational. Um, another thing to add is like compound lifts, like making sure you got your compound lifts down because those are so, so great, especially for novice lifters. Um, so talk, just, to build, like, just trying to mention what, what exactly are those lifts that you would recommend? So compound lifts to me are, or to anyone would be like a squat, a deadlift or like bench press, right? Those would be like the three main compound lifts that we all know about. Uh, but compound lift essentially means that you're incorporating more than just one muscle to assist with the movement that you're trying to perform. Deadlifts is pretty much a whole body exercise. You can, you can go down a whole scroll of muscles that are being engaged with the deadlift, uh, squats, um, uh, bench press, even though bench press seems like an isolated exercise is your uh, isolated exercise you're using so many more muscles to engage. Um, but those are going to be so, so key because you're, you're attacking muscles um, uh, holistically, and then you build from there into the accessory work, depending on what your goals are, obviously. But another thing that you mentioned that I really wanted to uh, target was that progressions don't have to mean go from, uh, like, let's say from a leg extension to uh, a single leg BOSU chain squat, you know, balancing on, mm-hmm. you know, one leg in a fucking circus. No, it's, it's more like, like, you know what I would do? I challenge, I would challenge anyone that's listening to come up with five different ways of progressing a leg extension without actually changing the exercise. That's, yeah. that's, that's a really good way. And that's a really good skill to have, especially as a physical therapist that is incorporating strength and conditioning principles, because in order to change that leg extension, and you can pause this right now if you're listening, but in order to change a leg extension, right? For five, like, let's, let's come up with five different ways, like right now. If I wanted to change a leg extension without changing the exercise, I could do, I could come up and hold at the very top of the movement, right? That in itself is going to be fucking tough, right? Hold that for about five seconds and see what your quad starts doing, okay? Um, I could add an eccentric uh, load to it. Yeah, so a little tempo work. It, right, right, so tempo work. So we could go like six seconds down and then explode on the way up. See what that does to your quad. I bet you won't get to 15 then, right? It's like, oh, I can do 15 leg extensions. Okay, we'll do it this way and see if you can mm-hmm. do 15. I bet you won't make it past eight. You know what I mean? So it's things like that. Another way that you can change it out. I'm going to, I challenged it. So I have to, I have to do it now. Another way that you could change it is um, obviously increasing the load, right? As soon as you increase the load, then you're going to progress the exercise. I still haven't changed the exercise. Yeah. Right? One thing that I played around with too, personally, with um, progressing different exercises, playing around with different ranges of the exercise. So, um, one thing that my boyfriend has actually taught me with his bodybuilding experience is like those end ranges or like lockout positions are positions that your muscles typically relax. So if you're really looking to work yourself on a leg extension, maybe don't go to full extension, stop just shy of it. So you keep tension on your quads the whole time. That's going to burn time under tension. Exactly. Beautiful. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Things yeah. like that. Um, you know, do, do like two up with two and down with one for an isolated eccentric, only eccentric exercise, um, up with two, I'm sorry, up with one and then down with two, 
to, for an isolated concentric exercise. There's yeah. just so many ways to change it before you actually get up from that leg extension machine onto the next exercise. You know what I'm saying? So Definitely. depending depending on what your goals are, you're not going to use all five of those different techniques, but depending on what your goals are, choose the two or three that you want as your goals for this patient. If, if their goal is force absorption and they have to eccentrically control landing and you want and you want some eccentric landing, obviously, I mean, I wouldn't do that in open kinetic chain, but if I'm doing it in closed kinetic chain for force absorption, it would be a different exercise, but for the sake of this argument, then I would just maybe pick eccentrics and, um, you know, like what you were saying, time under tension or, or, mm-hmm. or playing with the exercise in a specific range, dependent on what the sport position is for that athlete. I would pick yeah. those two as the main goals. And if they can progress and do 15, then, or whatever the goal is exercise wise, then I'll progress and go on to the next exercise, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah. sorry, I, I, Ramble, I was talking really quick, no, no, but- no. That was good. It's a really good point. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. But yeah, so there's just so many ways that you can progress without actually changing the exercise. And, and I think that is such a vital skill to have um, because it's, it's, you, don't, you don't have to do um, – yes, you want to keep things engaging for, the, for your patient. There's the, also the argument there. People will try to argue that. You, you want to keep things engaging for your patient, and you can. Um, no one's saying to keep exercises – like don't make the exercise boring if they want something a little bit more engaging. Um, cause at the end of the day, if they're not engaged, it doesn't matter what we make them do. Right. Uh, but this is in regards to somebody who's understanding and truly understands the principles of, of building strength, load power, um, and wanting to get back to the sport. If they understand these, these is re- that this is required, they'll, they'll put their head down and, and grind it. Yeah, definitely. And I love the point, you know, we talked about how you can use the basics to progress and make things more difficult. But that also means that you can use the same exercise and regress if you need to. So on the topic of if somebody is having a little bit of difficulty in the gym or they're having a little bit of an injury, you probably don't need to stop working out altogether. Now, of course, you should seek out a PT, make sure that you get assessed, make sure everything's okay and safe and there's not anything major going on. But that same leg extension example, like if you're having pain, maybe you find the pain-free range and work within that for a little while, or you decrease the weight or something like that. And 
you know, for somebody who's working out, who might be wondering, like, I've been doing the same thing for a while. Like, am I still going to progress? It also shows like, there's like probably 50 different ways that you can manipulate a squat, right? You're, you can still do your squats. You're still going to get stronger. You're like, you don't need to always look for something new to do. Um, I think that we sometimes don't appreciate the power of compound exercises enough. And some people try to complicate things, but you know, if you're starting working out, once you understand those basics, those are going to take you so far. So don't feel like you don't know what you're doing. You know, you're, you're going to fall into a trap where like you need to start doing crazy stuff. You'll be able to do the same thing for a long time and progress well, as long as you kind of understand these, these little ways to manipulate things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, 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 just keep it simple. Um, keep it simple as, keep it as simple as possible. And, and just like you said, you want to make sure that you're, um, you know, you're not taking away what this patient enjoys or loves doing. You're not completely saying like, Oh, it hurts to run. So stop running. We're just going to find ways to modify it. So if it hurts to run, like, okay, how long does it take for you to start feeling the pain? Oh, it starts hurting at five miles. Okay, great. Let's try one right now. Okay. Come back to me on a level terrain. Let's keep it a baseline. And then we'll slowly progress from there. And then, you know, so we'll add maybe half a mile a week or maybe a mile a week, you know, whatever the case may be, depending on the person. But, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said about somebody who's willing to modify something for someone, because that's a lot harder to do as a clinician to add, like to have the knowledge to, to modify something that someone enjoys versus the lazy clinician who is just like, you know what, just stop running. Mm-hmm. and let's work let's focus on some strength stuff and then get you back to like no let's let's see if we can modify it first um you know there's all there's your obvious exceptions there's a freaking fracture you don't want to be running on a fracture of course. right so yeah. <laughs> right but you know just just to be said yeah definitely um and in terms of you know if there is somebody who is currently active and has some kind of nagging pain whether it be shoulder pain knee pain back pain what advice would you have for them in terms of like at what point should they go and seek help? I would say if it's an unfamiliar pain, if it's something that you don't understand, if you can't figure out how to make it feel better, if you can't figure out how to alleviate that pain um, and it's, and it's starting to take over and it's starting to really eat away and become, become constant, annoying and nagging, um, then I would probably seek help at that point. But I would say, and would suggest that, um, you know, whoever's listening to this that doesn't understand the value of physical therapy um, or doesn't know anything about physical therapy, I would definitely say go see your physical therapist first mm-hmm. to your doctor because if the pain is something serious, you don't want to be waiting two to three weeks to go see your doctor if you can't get in soon. So of course, and we're, and we're, and we're skilled. So yeah, that was definitely a little bit of a general question. So I think you answered it well. But um, yeah, and another thing too, is I think some people um, working out and things like that, like a physical therapist is an amazing resource to do like a movement analysis and figure out where the pain is coming from, but going to see a PT and kind of getting to the root of it might result in, then you can find like a trainer or a coach to make sure that you're doing things properly in the gym. You know, right. like I think that a lot of times, cause I've even had situations where I'm squatting or deadlifting or something, and I feel a little bit of pain and it'll come on each session. And I'm like, Oh, what's up with this? Like right SI pain I got going on. Why is it happening? And all I really needed was for somebody to look at me who has the knowledge 
to say, oh, it looks like you're not really activating your core, you know, super well. And you're, you're kind of um, losing your pelvic stability during the movement. So I'm like, okay, now, of course, I understand what that means. So it's a quick fix, but you learn these things, you learn how to control your body better. And now I can go back to that movement and I don't have pain. So going to see somebody doesn't always mean it's going to be a six to eight week sentence, right? I think there's a lot of value. And if you can find somebody who knows what they're doing, who knows how to analyze movement and can pick out those things nowadays too, like, don't be embarrassed to like, take a video of yourself in the gym. Like it's so, it's something that we all make fun of people when we see somebody doing it. I do it and I get nervous when I'm doing it, Mm -hmm. but you know, if something's bothering you while, while you're pressing, squatting, pushing, whatever, take a little video send it to somebody who, you know, that has experience in this. I feel like we all know somebody who's a personal trainer, PT coach, send it to them and be like, Hey, how does this look? Don't even tell them about the pain that you're having. Just be like, what do you think? And they might say, Oh, it looks like, you know, you should probably turn your hands out a little bit, or you should probably do this. Like sometimes it's quick little fixes that can make a big difference. I've definitely noticed that as a coach and as a PT. Um, Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, I think one one thing that I really wanted to pull from what you just said was that going to see your practitioner is in a six to eight week sentence all the time. Um, In fact, you're, if you're going to the right place and you're going to the right person, um, somebody that, that comes in and and finds that you're not appropriate for physical therapy should and, and, or will and should refer you out. Uh, Whether that is something that's pretty severe and needs to be seen by a physician and treated then, or if it's just something as like as moderate as like a patellar tendon issue and um, or mild as a patellar tendon issue. And if it's something that it's, it's not even that bad, then I would probably even refer that out to like a strength and conditioning coach and just kind of provide my insight and tips, because if it's not appropriate for physical therapy at that point, then, then at that point it becomes unethical for me to treat that person. Yeah. Right. If it's, if, especially if it's like a trained person, somebody who's very experienced and has the knowledge to treat themselves, if they come in and, and I say, oh, I have this pain here. Um, and, and they're dealing with that and they know how to take care of it. They just needed someone to kind of look and check it out and see Then I would, I'll be the first person to say, okay, you, you don't necessarily need me. Like, here's, here's what I would modify in your exercise program based on what you told me subjectively. Um, here's what I would probably stick to and start building from and, you know, come back and see me if anything arises or changes. So, um, yeah, I think finding, you know, if you're going to the right person, they'll, they'll be able to determine if it's, if you're appropriate for PT or not, you don't, you're not, you're not stuck there and, you know, doing clamshells on a table. (laughs) You would, you would hope not, but there's definitely still a lot of those out there. Um, do you, do you you research, but no, that's a great point. And I think, especially for the more novice person training, and it might not be brand new to the gym. It might be, you've been working out on and off for a year, two years, three years. There's a lot of value in investing in help and guidance and coaching early on. So what I mean by that is you might be a little reluctant to hire a coach or to see a PT because of the money. Like money is real. It is, it it can be expensive to hire these professionals, but if you're going to see a PT when that nagging pain starts to bother you means that you learn what you need to learn to exercise safely, effectively, that's going to take you potentially for years, you know? And like, 
builds that foundation. The hardest part is getting started, not only from a motivational perspective, but um, a knowledge perspective. So maybe you invest in five or six sessions with a personal trainer for two to $300 at your local gym, and you're going to be set up for so much more success than if you do it all on your own. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it on your own. There's online coaches now. There's so many resources, but like, if you feel lost in it, know that there are so many people like Muhammad and I who are so passionate about this stuff and love when somebody's like, Hey, I want to learn how to use a barbell. Like how excited do you get when somebody's like, can you help me? You know? So go ask for help. And if you're in it for that, for the long game, if you want to achieve a level of fitness and sustain it, sometimes you got to rely on some coaching, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. 100. Well said, beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now, Muhammad, I want to dive a little bit into some lifestyle considerations in terms of injury with training. Um, I'm a big fan of lifestyle myself, especially recovery. And I know that things like sleep and nutrition and overall recovery do play a role. So let's just talk a little bit about each one of those. What role does sleep play in this kind of chronic injury overuse injury space? In terms of sleep, I do think that that it plays a huge role. If you're if you're asking your body to perform at this high level um, during a training day, for example, and then you're only providing it with uh, like four hours worth of rest, um, you know that that stuff is is eventually going to eat away because your body isn't able to fully recover. And so instead of returning back to baseline, you kind of return at this like halfway mark, and you're having to train from that point on. And if you continue the, the sleep or the sleep deprivation, then you're continuing a cycle and of, of sleep deprivation and, and you're increasing that, I guess you want to call it like a tank of, of just, just hours of lack in sleep, um, which isn't good. I mean, I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't know the specifics and, you know, why sleep, like what sleep loss could do for you, but I do know that it will hundred percent hinder your recovery for fat, for sure. It will result in decreased muscle, uh, being, being able to be built. So decreased hypertrophy, um, and just overall low energy. And mm-hmm. if you have any of that, then you get, then you start to get into factors, uh, like psychological and you don't have the motivation to continue anymore because you're, you're being detrained, you know, or you're, you're, being, you're becoming overtrained. Um, so I would just I would just kind of leave it at that. There's there's just so many so so many uh, negative factors to ha- having enough sleep. Um, yeah, I, I completely say, agree. And yeah. I, I have to say, as an athlete myself, I played field hockey at the college level, and I did not value my sleep at all. You know, was, when right. you're in college, when even when you're in high school, like sleep isn't really something that you think about. And now that I've learned a lot about it, it's amazing what a performance enhancer it can become if your sleep is at a, in a good place. Um, and yeah, like the two main things that I've heard with sleep and performance is number one, readiness is going to be decreased. So if you're an athlete on the field, or if you're just somebody going to the gym, your body, your nervous system, your muscles aren't going to be as prepared to take on that exercise as they should be which as you could imagine, if you show up to work unprepared, you're probably not going to be very effective and perform well. Same thing for your body. Um, and then you mentioned about hypertrophy. One thing that I teach a lot of um, my athletes about is that 
muscle growth happens while you're sleeping. Muscle growth doesn't right. happen in the gym. It happens outside right. the gym. So, you know, that sleep is so crucial. And, um, you know, an analogy that I give for the readiness um, perspective is I'll say to my, my athletes who tend to be in college, at least to my experience so far, I'm like, think of it as you forget to charge your phone one night. So you wake up in the morning and you're, you know, going on TikTok, you're scrolling through Instagram, maybe you FaceTime your mom before class. You might notice that your phone is lagging and it's not performing well. Things are slow and then it dies because you only gave it a 20%, 30% charge. But if you give your phone the charge that it needs, you can multitask like crazy and it's going to have no problem. You know, your body kind of behaves in the same way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yo, again, well said. I feel like you're answering these questions very well. These are good. <laughs> no, thank you. I it's, I'm definitely, I guess I kind of cherry pick things that I'm interested in, but I definitely love to hear your perspective too. No, um, no, no, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to provide too much of a perspective on that. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I do. It is something that I'm really interested in though. Like, for example, I do have a whoop band and, and I, I do notice, for example, on like training days with not getting enough sleep versus on, you know, non-training days. I don't, I can, I can have just as much lack of sleep as I did on the training days, but I'll be much better off because I didn't actually train. And so things like that are to consider or to be considered. So that's why I mentioned at the high level. So it's, uh, it's, it's super complex. Sleep is, sleep is very complex. Cause then, especially when you get into things like REM and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. are you actually getting deep sleep, which is, is where we get the, where we get our recovery from. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I wear whoop band as well. So that's kind of like yeah. why I'm such a nerd about all this. Um, yeah. So let's just touch upon like nutrition a little bit too. Again, not really something that we tend to talk a lot about, but do you educate your patients and clients on the importance of nutrition at all in terms you know, truth- of recovery? Truthfully, I don't do it as often as I probably should. And that's me being completely honest. I, I, um, it's not something that's like, that's on the forefront of my mind because I think it's, a, it's outside of my scope of practice, but that's not, that's not a, that's not a justification. And I think it should be um, something that should at least be considered with patients in the appropriate setting. And I think I've done a good job at addressing it in, in situations where I felt like it was required or was needed. And I know it's always a very sensitive topic for some, especially for, for new grads like myself, because um, you know, if you get a morbidly obese patient in your clinic, how are you supposed to tell them? Like, how are you, yeah. supposed to, you know, you that's hard. That I working as an aide, I've worked with so many patients who had been patients for like two years for knee OA. And they're just like, Oh, why won't the pain go away? I've been doing this for so long. And I just want to look them in the eye and be like, listen, Karen, you need to lose like 30 pounds, but you can't, you can't do that. And it, and like, you don't want to be mean, but it's, it's the truth. Like your body can only handle so much internal load like that. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it definitely depends on kind of like what you're addressing specifically, but even with your knowledge as a CSCS, like we know that, um, proper energy intake is super important for performance and similar, similar to sleep. If you're not getting enough food, you're not going to be able to put out a sufficient amount of energy either. Do you think that could also be linked to injury? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, if you're, if, if you're, if you're asking your body to do, to run a marathon, for example, but you've only provided it with a protein bar right beforehand, how do you think your body is going to perform? You know, it's, 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 you, you need to, you need to plenish your body with, with the sufficient amount of X or whatever it is, protein, carbs, fats, whatever it is that you're attempting to do. Um, 
in order to be successful in your sport. Um, you know, if you're going, if you're going to break it down physiologically down to the energy systems, um, depending on what you're doing, anaerobic or aerobic, it's, it's going to require a certain amount of carbs. Um, and so, you know, depending on your body weight and X amount and things like that. Again, these are things that are outside of my scope, but things that we, you and I at CSCS, um, you know, um, you know, trained individuals, we have a little bit of knowledge to provide our patients. Um, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be, listen, this is what I know. And um, I'm ready to refer you out to somebody if this is something that you're truly interested in. Definitely. And I think, you know, a simple question that people can ask themselves, like if you're somebody who occasionally when you go to the gym, do you feel some kind of discomfort? You feel low energy, you feel this pain, but it's not every single time that typically I feel is linked to something going on with like sleep or nutrition. You know, some days you go in and you feel on it because those days you probably are being really good to your body. You're fueling well, you're, you're sleeping well. And then there might be other days where you go to the gym and you had a long day at work and you forgot to eat lunch. And you're like, damn, why am I not feeling good today? Like when you have those moments, and especially if you start to feel some kind of overuse type chronic injury coming on, just check in with yourself, ask yourself, like, am I hungry all the time? Do I feel like I'm eating well? Am I eating a lot of protein? Like a lot of these questions that I ask people, they're pretty basic. Like you can grab the average person at the gym and be like, Hey, is protein important? And they're going to be like, yeah, of course. So I think kind of bringing those things to light, just not in the sense of like, you need to be a control freak and track all of these things. But if you're experiencing discomfort and maybe you're not ready to see a PT yet, ask yourself, like, can my sleep be better? Can my nutrition be better? And I I think that those 1%, 2% better scenarios might be enough to, you know, give you what you need to continue to perform. I, I absolutely agree. Just like we talked about in the, in the, in the beginning of the podcast, I can't remember if we mentioned this before, or after we started recording, but it's, you know, when you consider, when you consider things like, like the small things before you go and see your patient, like before you go and see your PT, um, you, you, you really do have to consider those small little like things like, am I sleeping enough? And, and honestly, even, even as a pain-free person, if you're just trying to improve your training overall, like even if you're not in pain, you have to consider these things and it, it doesn't get brought to light enough. It's like, oh, I want to, I want to, I want to start taking creatine because I'm not building muscle enough. And I want to start, and creatine's fine, but by the way, I have no, no harsh, no feelings towards creatine. I love creatine. I, I use it personally and I think it's great. I think my point, what I'm trying to make is, is um, people are trying to look for the shortcuts. They're not looking for, they're not looking within themselves. They're not looking at the hard pieces, exactly. Themselves, which is like the the sleep, the nutrition. If you're fucking eating, you know, hot dogs and candy canes and oh, that was a weird fucking combination. <laughs> hot dogs, candy canes, and ice cream and donuts and all this, all this stuff. If you're eating all that, then obvious, and, and but you still feel like you're working out like a freak. Great, your workouts are awesome but you're not able to you're not going to be able to sustain that there's just no yeah. way um so yeah looking within yourself asking yourself am i sleeping enough am i eating enough am i am i eating well enough uh, those are big big factors to consider yeah definitely and you know not every person is going to be willing to look into those factors consider them but if you're listening to this podcast you're probably a little bit interested in this topic and in improving your health and if you're really serious about it those factors need to be in check you know Um, and yeah, like you mentioned it, it's so 
important. And it's really just about kind of like consistency over time. Like not everything's going to be perfect. Um, but focus on that low hanging fruit. I actually just recorded a podcast on this recently. Like what are the simple, easy things that we can do to just give our bodies the best chance of being successful physically and mentally. And it is, it's the sleep, it's the eating, it's those things that they're simple, not easy. You know, there's a difference, but, um, definitely considering those things first before you look into like supplementation and though supplements are not bad, but those are the things that are going to make you 1% better. Whereas sleep and nutrition will make you 50% better, you know? So it's about right. getting, getting the most bang right. for your buck. Um, right. wow. So much that we're diving into Mohammed. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Any final thoughts from anything we talked today? Um, you know, somebody getting started and wanting to avoid injury. Yeah, no, I think final, I think um, some final thoughts or some closing thoughts are, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to get started and you want to avoid injury, don't go into it being hesitant because that's truly when injuries happen. If you go in with like this uh, bubble wrapped mindset of like, I'm going to hurt myself with every little thing that I do, then <laughs> it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's like the rule of something they teach you when you're driving. Like if you go onto the road and you're hesitant about driving and you're freaking out about every little thing, there's more, you're more at risk. And this is a proven fact you're more at risk of getting into an accident. And so, um, you know, if you, if you live your life by these like bubble wrap rules, you're, you're going, you're hindering yourself at the end of the day. And, and, um, just understand that your body is very resilient. Understand that your body is very adaptable to loads that you provide it with, uh, provided that you are providing them with, um, you know, a gradual load and, and time to adapt to those, um, loads. So I think that really we could do anything we like, humans we can do whatever we want load wise um the 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 options are limitless it really is because you know you if you're able to really provide yourself with that with that sufficient amount of load gradually it's it's you're again your possibilities are just endless you could you could we got guys who are deadlifting 1500 pounds you know like that's that's fucking remarkable yeah and guys who are um, running like 150 miles so right yeah so it's, it's wild it's absolutely insane and it's only going to get better from there but it's because people like that are continuously pushing the boundaries but if again going back to what i just said if you're bubble wrapping your life you're not going to you're not going to go anywhere you're not going to you're not going to you're not going to be able to to personally achieve the goals that you were trying to achieve uh nevertheless you probably end up with an injury anyways it's yeah. it's life pain is very normal. And I think that the second we normalize it and the second we start understanding that it is, it is a little normal to have some pain, especially if you decide to choose this health, um, or I guess a fitness lifestyle, um, or whatever it is that you're doing, then, then the sooner you'll realize that it's, it's, uh, it's a rite of passage and, um, there's ways to cope with it. There's ways to avoid it. There's ways to prevent it. Um, there's ways to, uh, modify it and, and, and you can continue doing what you love because we're all humans and we all age and we're all going to experience some sort of pain. So perfect way to wrap it up. That's 100%. The major key is you can really do whatever you want to do. If you set your mind to it, you're patient and you properly progress towards it. Shout out strength and conditioning principles. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shout out awesome. That. So as we wrap things up here, um, where can listeners reach out to you? So you can find me on Instagram. I have uh, my professional page. It's Dr. Mohammed Almu. 
D-R-M-O-H-A-M-E-D-A-L-N-U. Um, we'll probably provide a link for them in, in one of the bios or on Instagram. Um, but you can follow me there. I post all of my content. I'm mostly doing a lot of stories. I don't post too often um, on my actual page, um, but like my stories are always active. If you, always, if you ever have a question about anything related to starting up a podcast or NPC school or just, you know, any, whatever it is, advice, um, Julie knows I'm, I'm more than happy to answer those questions and I'm, I'm more than happy to provide any uh, info. Uh, you can also probably find me on, on, on LinkedIn, um, but those would be my two professional uh, sources of finding me. Um, another way you can contact me is through my, my work email, which is Mohammed at recoverwithpurpose.com. Um, so uh, all those avenues, but the best way would be Instagram. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions if you have any. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, guys, I can't speak highly enough of Mohammed, and he's been a great resource for me. His Instagram is awesome. Definitely check it out if you're interested in anything in the performance space and also check out his podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Oh yeah. My podcast. Holy crap. Yeah. So I have a, a podcast called the Halo Effect podcast for those that don't know. Um, and it was a podcast intended to um, one, bring light about the profession of physical therapy. That's why it was called the Halo Effect. Um, bring light about the professional physical therapy and, and kind of cut away all the biases that come with it um, that people don't really know about it. Um, and also be a good avenue for physical therapy students to learn more about the sports medicine field and strength and conditioning field and so on and so forth uh, that they wouldn't necessarily get in PT school. And I uh, pride myself in being able to provide really like top-notch guests um, and even student guests that were so that, that were just so helpful and, and I'm so blessed that uh, I was able to not only be in contact and they were able to join me, but um, be able to provide that knowledge to those students and and the constant feedback that I hear is so humbling. So uh, yeah, I, I highly highly recommend my podcast <laughs> as well. Um, uh, it's so weird, like recommending your podcast. I highly recommend my own podcast as well. If you're if you're interested in the sports medicine field and that world, um, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You got so many awesome resources, Muhammad. Thanks again for coming on, and thanks for sharing everything. Yeah, you got it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope Muhammad's knowledge and passion left you feeling empowered and excited to progress your fitness effectively and injury-free. Make sure to follow him on Instagram for some awesome content. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.